motto of the Protestant Reformation. Because before the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, much of the medieval church was in darkness. In previous centuries, Roman Catholic leadership had led the people away from their Bibles into the dark corners of more and more man-made traditions. Traditions that had no support in scripture, indulgences, the adoration of Mary, the adoration of relics, the monasteries, the convents, and on and on we could go. Each of these traditions cast another shadow upon the soul, driving the people away from the light of Christ, shining in the gospel of saving grace. In 1543, John Calvin took up his pen and he wrote to Emperor Charles V, explaining why Calvin was participating with Luther in the greatest upheaval that the church had known, the Reformation. Calvin said, Divine truth lay buried under this vast and dense cloud of darkness. Religion was sullied by so many impious superstitions. By horrid blasphemies, the worship of God was corrupted and his glory laid prostrate. By a multitude of perverse opinions, the benefit of redemption was frustrated and men, intoxicated with a fatal confidence in works, sought salvation anywhere rather than in Christ. Close quote. God's blessing was upon the reformers. And that is why you and I are in this church this morning. The foundation stones of the church were found and renewed in the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Soli Deo Gloria, the glory of God alone. But what was the formal cause of the Protestant Reformation? What pushed the church out of the darkness into light? The scriptures, the Bible, the word of God was the formal cause. The Roman church said the pope, the traditions, the church itself, they had the authority to bind the conscience of the believer. But with one voice, the reformers said, no, the Bible alone has the authority to bind the conscience of the believer. And this is why Martin Luther was so happy to say things like this. The Christian church does not even need a pope. Or the monastic life is an abyss, a world of lust and pollution. Luther shocked people in speaking this way. But the shock was only because they had been brainwashed by an authority that was no true authority. Now, it would be a huge mistake for any of us to think that the reformation of the church was just and only happened 500 years ago. There were many reformations of the church before then. And one of the most wonderful reformations of the church took place through the life of King Josiah in 7th century BC. You are seeing it, and I would encourage you to read the rest of it in your Lord's Day reading, perhaps. You can read it in 2 Kings 22 and 23. A fuller account of it is in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. 
This is one of the great reformations of the church. And it began with a boy, a recovery of the word of God came to the church through King Josiah. Now, he became king when he was just eight years old. He led the southern kingdom of Israel through its own post-Tenebras Luke's Reformation. And what was the formal cause? You heard it this morning. It was the recovery of the word of God as the only proper binding authority on the people of God. Now, when the book of the law was found in the temple by Hilkiah the high priest, it had been lost for some 50 to 75 years. And when that book of the law was read by Josiah, read to Josiah by Shaphan, his secretary, the word of God hit that king like lightning. The light pierced the darkness and remained on the man and would soon spread to other men and would soon spread to the whole land of Judah. But first the word took control of one man, King Josiah. If somebody ever tells you that the Protestant Reformation shouldn't be trusted because it started with one man, Martin Luther, open your Bible and show them 2 Kings 22. And if that's not enough for them, then nothing will be. Now, with great grief, Josiah tore his clothes off and he began weeping before the Lord. Have you ever done that because of the word of God? Has the word of God ever brought you to grief? Beloved, it must if you shall have the sweetness and comfort of the gospel. You must know that you are under the wrath of God before you can be reconciled to him through his reconciler. You will never understand the cross of Christ unless you know that he is there for your sins. Josiah is weeping. After consulting the prophetess Huldah, he then made his personal reformation a public reformation. He gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He gathered all the people, both small and great. And he, Josiah the king, this is in chapter 23, the king himself read the same book of the law to everyone in public assembly. Josiah then made everyone renew their covenant with Yahweh. They bound themselves to the authority of the book and abandoned the authority of their wicked fathers, for they had wicked fathers. Josiah then reformed the whole church. He scrubbed the land clean of idols and removed the priests who served those idols. And you know who the only people were that didn't like it and thought it was too severe? Idol worshipers and their priests. And Josiah lastly reinstituted the Passover feast, which had not been observed, the scripture says, since the days of the judges. Now that was a fast overview of everything that happened with Josiah. But we're going to slow down. We're going to slow down and look more closely at the two major features of Josiah's reformation of the church. And I'm not going to give you the bonus today. We're going to stick to just two. 
What are the two major features? Darkness and light. We need to look at the tenebrae, and we need to look at the lukes. First, the darkness. There was a time in Josiah's life when he was not weeping before the word. I remember that time in my life. When he was not hearing the word. When he was not publicly reading the word. There was a time in his life when that described Josiah. There was a season of darkness in Josiah's life. That darkness had fallen on the whole land of Judah, even before Josiah was the king. That darkness, shockingly, surprisingly, had come from Josiah's own family. His grandfather had been King Manasseh. Manasseh had erected altars to Baal right inside the house of the Lord, inside the temple at Jerusalem. Manasseh had used fortune tellers. He had used omens. He had dealt with mediums and necromancers. He even offered one of his own sons as a burnt offering in the sacrificial cult of Moloch, which had its meetings in the Valley of Hinnom. It says in 2 Kings 21.6 that Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, led the people astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. In other words, there was more darkness inside the church than outside of the church. When Manasseh died, Josiah's father, Amon, became king. And Amon was a chip off the old block. 2 Kings 21.20 says, Amon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Amon had become king at the age of 22. He was dead by the age of 24 assassinated in his own house by his own servants. But, to their credit, the people of Judah did not like having their wicked king removed so wickedly, so they killed the servants. And do you know what they did? They installed the dead king's son, Josiah, on the throne at the age of eight. And for the first eight years of being king, Until he was 16, Josiah supported the status quo. He allowed the evil of his fathers to stand as the normal, as the reasonable, as the civil, as the acceptable wisdom of the ancient church for his first eight years. So here then, so far, here then is the the big lesson about darkness in the church. Days of darkness are not days without conviction. This is so very important to understand. Days of darkness in the church are not days without conviction. Days of darkness are not days of no religious thoughts or of no religious habits. The days of Manasseh, the days of Amnon, even the early days of Josiah were dark days when the beliefs and behaviors of the people were acceptable by a standard other than the word of God. 
They had a standard. They had conviction. They had religion. Everybody thought what was right was right. But they were all so terribly wrong. In the days of darkness, there was an authority regulating the church, and everyone thought it was okay. Everyone thought it was right. The authority was in the Baals, and in the Ashtaroth, and in the cult of Moloch, and in the pagan priest who worked in Judah. Worldly religion was the authority. So here's what happens when darkness settles on the church, whether it's the year 1250 or 2023. People are certain under darkness that the way they are thinking is the right way to be thinking. And they are certain the way they are behaving is the right way to be behaving. They are certain because the spiritual authorities they are submitting to have assured them that thinking the way they do and behaving the way they do is right and good and necessary. But the big problem is they have the wrong authority. The problem is not certainty. The problem is not authority. The problem is having the wrong authority. You will always put yourself under some authority. You can't help yourself. You will. It is the nature of man to want an authority for what he is doing and for what he is thinking. Romans 1.32 says, Fallen men love to give approval to other fallen men for what they are doing. And that is because other fallen men crave the approval of men. The old Puritan Richard Sibb said, many people are willing to go to hell as long as they go with some kind of authority supporting them. It's exactly what hell is going to be populated with. People who are there because they had authority telling them, keep living the way you're living. Keep thinking the way you're thinking. When darkness spread through the church before the Reformation, it did not do so because church leaders had abandoned authority. It did so because the leaders were saying, look, we have been doing this for a long time. We have been believing this for a long time. Look at all the important men who said the same things and did the same things that we are doing. That's what they said in their darkness. They pointed to their authorities. To all of that, Martin Luther came along and said, if a Turk were to ask us Christians to give reasons for our faith, he would not care how long we have believed a certain thing or how many eminent people have believed it. We would have to ignore those things and direct the Turk to Holy Scripture as the basis for our faith. You see what Luther's saying? He's saying it's not the question of, of having or not having authority. It's the question is, what is your authority? The way out of darkness is always a return to the right authority, the Word of God, the Bible. What does the darkness look like in the church today within an hour's drive of here? Darkness is in the church wherever church leaders refuse to proclaim the whole counsel of God. I have met people who I've said, well, well, this is what God's will is on this matter. 
and they are flabbergasted. They look at me as if I have three heads and a green face because they have not read the Bible. And they don't know that what I've just said is easily shown to them in the Bible. Darkness is in the church wherever church leaders are refusing to proclaim the whole will and purpose of God in Scripture. So when church leaders neglect parts of the Bible, they are always leaving God's people under the authority of the world. This is why some churches celebrate gay marriage. They wouldn't have been celebrating gay marriage 100 years ago. But because the authority of the world says that it's now right to do so, that's their authority. This is why some churches have women pastors. This is why some churches accept brash, cruel, and vulgar pastors who tweet and post their brash, harsh, and cruel speech. This is why some churches have worship services more like a rock concert or a comedy club than Christian worship because they're not reading their Bibles or preaching them. This is why some church members don't even know the Ten Commandments. This is why some churchgoers are scandalized by the doctrine of election. This is why some men don't know about the sweetness of an imputed righteousness and a justification with God that's by faith alone. Some don't even know it. This darkness comes because they are not hearing the full teaching of the Bible. But they are under an authority. With God's authority silenced, they take their authority from somewhere else. Let us remember what Paul said when he left the Ephesian church after three years. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Acts 20, 26. Paul seems to think it's a matter of blood to do so. Well, that's the tenebrae. There was a darkness before there was a light, even in this reformation of Josiah's life. Let's talk about better things. Let's talk about the Lukes. How did light come in the days of Josiah after so much darkness from the days of his grandfather, and so much darkness from the days of Ammon, and so much darkness even in Josiah's early years. How did light come to this? This is so encouraging, what's about to be set before us. So encouraging. Your grandfather and your father could be among the worst of men, and light can intrude upon you for eternal salvation and earthly usefulness in the kingdom of God. But how did it happen? The short answer is it happened by a gracious work of God when the word of God came to a man of God, a man who himself was a gracious work of God before the word of God came to the man of God. Now you say, that's not the short answer, Pastor. It is. Let me explain. When Hilkiah found the book of the law in the temple, somewhere stashed in a room where the money and the taxes were, when he finds that book of the law and Shaphan read it to King Josiah, 
Josiah responds like a man hit by lightning. We said that. Tears his clothes, starts weeping, and seeks the Lord. But that doesn't always happen with a man who hears the word of God. How did this happen? Many who hear the word never experience a personal reformation. And that too may be you. You may have been to many sermons in your life and never have yet entered the experience of grieving over your sin. That's very common, actually. Many who hear the word never experience a personal reformation. Their hearts remain hard when they hear the word, or they even have harder hearts. Sadly, they want to be ruled by a different authority. They want the world to tell them how to think and how to behave. They want to be justified before the world and not before heaven. Pharaoh heard the word from Moses, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Nebuchadnezzar heard the word from Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar's heart was hardened. Paul, in fact, in 2 Corinthians 3.14, says that many today, when they hear Scripture, have their minds hardened. Why, then, did the Word of God work so brilliantly, so brightly, and so radiantly in Josiah when he was 16, and then again later, and then again and again? Here's the answer. Because God had already graciously visited and worked on Josiah's heart. And this is quite clear in 2 Chronicles 34.3, the other account of Josiah's life, where it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, Josiah began to seek the God of David, his father. How old do you have to be before you can enter in a sweet communion with the living God? Well, we know that it can be as low as eight. Well, let's keep looking. John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb when Mary, with our Savior in her belly, walked into the room. Who does this? The living God does this. Ten years before the book of the law was found, Josiah began seeking the Lord at the age of 16. And this language, this is the language. He began to seek the God of David, his father. Beloved, that is the language of the heart. It does not mean that Josiah realized he was doing bad things and that he now needed to start doing good things. That is not what those words mean. Did moral reform come to his life? Yes, but that is not what those words mean. He began to seek the God of David, his father. It's not the language of behavior. That comes later. Seeking is the language of hunger. It is the language of thirst. It is the intimate language of longing. Every one of you in this room today is longing for something. Every one of you is hungering for something. Some of you, it is the God of David. At 16, Josiah began seeking the fellowship and the comfort and the rest and the enjoyment 
of the God of David, his father. It was David who said, O Lord, you have said to me, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Psalm 27, 7. Just like with David, the Lord had spoken first to Josiah. By an intrusive and initiating grace, the Lord had set some sound in Josiah's ear that he had never heard before, and he couldn't avoid it. He had to move toward it. The Lord had set some light before David's eye, like 10 miles off in the middle of the night, and he couldn't look away from it. He had to move toward it. The Lord did this. This is sovereign grace. And now Josiah could not seek anything else but the sound and the light. His heart had been turned to the goodness of God, the God of David, his father. So Josiah was suddenly seeking the same peace with God that David had testified about in Psalm 61. By the way, I like to think that Josiah had some copies of the Psalms lying about. And one day he may have picked them up and started thinking about them, started chewing on them, and started hearing them, and started seeing them. The God of David, his father, what a wonderful way to explain his genealogy now. The grandson of Manasseh, the son of Amon, no, the son of David. David himself, who is a perfect and beautiful type of Jesus Christ. David, who is in union with Christ, who will say, the Messiah is my Lord. David's son is our Lord. So, David says in Psalm 61, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. That is what Josiah was seeking when he turned 16. The God of David, his father. The point is, beloved, that Josiah sought the Lord by faith alone. He sought the rest and the refuge of a merciful redeemer. That's what is meant in the expression, the God of David. And finding the redeemer, all his other good works then came forth like fruits on a tree now well planted. This is what explains David's interest in repairing the temple in our reading today, verses 3 through 7. Why is he so interested in getting this temple repaired and getting these men properly paid? Because his heart has found the Lord. And the worship of God now becomes the chief ambition of his life. Why then? Does the book of the law work so well when it's given to Josiah? It's been given to a lot of men, and I think his grandfather hid it away because he was so disgusted with it. But when it's given to Josiah, it works so well a reformation in his life. Why? The Lord has done it this way so that the whole church can see what treasures God gives to those whom he loves. God gives his word to his children. He does not leave his children in the dark, 
Remember what Jesus says in John 15 to the disciples? I do not call you my slaves anymore. You are my friends because I am letting you know what my Father is doing. I'm giving you my word. The Lord gives the word to this man so that we would see the gift God gives to all the children he loves. He gives them his word. He opens heaven to them, so he, in the word, lets them look into the order of heaven. That's what it is, isn't it? That's what this is. This is the constitution of a heavenly life. And you get to look into it now because you are so loved by the one who puts it on your heart. And not only do you get to look into it, you get to begin to order your life by it. You get to bring some heaven down to earth. And that brings me to the final reformation Josiah wrought by this word. Reading in it, he discovered that they had not celebrated the Passover since the days of the judges. The Passover. Passover was to be an annual celebration in Israel of the lamb who had been slain. A celebration of God's holy love where he had passed over all the houses, remember, marked by the lamb's blood. A testimony to the danger that his own children were in with God because of their sin, but also a testimony to the delight God has in delivering them by a substitute and a foreshadowing of the glorious grace of Jesus Christ crucified. They were not celebrating Christ. They were in such great darkness, they weren't even sharing in the feast that allowed them to look to Christ as the sacrifice and offering for their sins. That's how dark it was. And bringing the Passover back, Josiah sets the heart of the whole church upon the mediation of Christ. That is what the word is for. That's what the law was for. That's what the gospel is for, rightly ordered and used, to set the whole church properly on the mediation of Christ. And bringing Passover back, Josiah is not just a hearer of the word, he is a doer of the word. Will you be? Will you be a hearer and a doer? Or do you even feel it now in your own spirit today? Do you feel in your own spirit, even while you're hearing preaching, that I don't want to be under the authority of this word? I'm, I'm going to stay under some other authority. Beloved, let me tell you right now, all other authorities other than the word of God, will ruin you, will destroy you. They may give you some laughs for a short run, but you will be in tears. And let's apply the same principle to seeking. 16-year-olds, those who are in proximate age of 16 or 8, anything you seek that is not the God of David, your father, will always disappoint you. Romance, money, leisure, a leave-me-alone kind of life, anything you seek, it will always end up disappointing you. And outside of your cell in eternal hell, it will laugh at you because it served its purpose. 
It served its purpose and it played upon your heart in the very way the devil wanted it to, to convince you that Jesus was not worthy of your life. But if you seek first the kingdom of God, if you seek first the sweet gospel of salvation, you will never be disappointed even though all the world laughs at you. On the day of judgment, you will have the smile and embrace of the living God, and you will even know it now through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church. Beloved, may reform begin in you and begin again and again by this word. Let us pray. Father, help us believe what we have heard. Put the sound in our ear and the light before our eye that we cannot turn away from anymore. That we must now seek above all things and even separate ourselves and abandon other things that we were seeking. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would testify to the children in this room that it is not too early to forsake the world and seek the God of David, their father, to seek the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not too early to take the word of God so seriously that even your fathers and grandfather think that you are a fool. Oh, Lord, let us know the truth that he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he will never lose. Press this upon us in the glory of Christ crucified and risen. In his name, amen.